I mean, I jokingly think of it as kind of forks in the road that you look at every two to three years to assess whether you're learning, growing, developing, and still getting excited every day. Excellence, professionalism, innovation, and collegiality. These are the values the Sam and Walton College of Business explores in education, business, and the lives of people we meet every day. I'm Matt Waller, Dean of the Walton College, and welcome to the Be Epic Podcast. I have with me today, Steve Nelson, co-founder at Carbon Inc. and co-founder at Re Inc. Steve has tremendous experience as a financier, as a entrepreneur, and as a leader. And he has lots of board experience as well. Thank you so much, uh, Steve, for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Matt, no, delighted to have the conversation. Thanks so much for including me. You you really have a, a tremendous background in so many things. I know you started your career, you were at IBM and you, you were there for 14 years and left as vice president and general manager. Rather than talk about the earlier days in your career, I would like to start a little bit sooner. Start by talking a little bit about your experience with Wakefield Group as managing partner. And Wakefield is a um, venture capital firm for those uh, listening. Sure. Maybe we'll describe a little bit this whole notion of synchro destiny, which you and I have had some fun conversations about before. But it was a bit fortunate for me that I was with a person that was looking for somebody to kind of come in and be the new Research Triangle Park, North Carolina general partner, and ultimately to be the managing general partner of the firm. And I ended up being in New York City, offering advice on folks that might be good. And then I said, you know, if not for the fact that I love what I'm doing in California, we're raising our children, they're only five and seven, we have a great place, great lives. If not for that, I might be interested. I was surprised to hear myself say it, surprised to get the question. I think they were surprised to hear me say it. They asked me to pull my thoughts together and fly to Charlotte, North Carolina, in this case from the Bay Area. I lived in the East Bay and kind of lived and worked in Silicon Valley, I guess for seven years. Before I knew it, I was moving to North Carolina and I was basically asked to be the managing general partner of Wakefield Group, which is a private investment vehicle for an amazing family, the Spangler family out of Charlotte. They'd be a first generation success story that would have gone long in Charlotte banking. That thing is now called Bank of America, went long in building products, went long in a bunch of industries, almost a Warren Buffett of the South, just an incredible family. And I got asked to be their person. And that was an amazing 14-year, almost 15-year run for me, ultimately kind of covering private investment. Think of it as more venture capital with some growth equity investing in and around the Southeast with a base in Research Triangle Park. And I learned enormously from my partners, but enormously on the job by doing the job. Still, uh, it was a big change for you in many different ways, not only in terms of location, but you had been involved in IBM, you've been involved in a software company, Informix, and you'd been involved in a digital sports media company. You had tremendous experience, but this seemed to be a bit of a change uh, in terms of your path. Is, is that right? Am I reading Well, I, I'd say in a way, yes. But the, the last role that I had, I, I jokingly referred to myself as getting bigger and bigger jobs in smaller and smaller companies from IBM to Informix Software to this fun little company called Quokka Sports, which was a digital sports company that ultimately went public. In that role, I kind of learned that company creation business. And I was the one at Quokka Sports. I joined that thing and we had no money. I'm like thinking back on it. What was I thinking? 
We had no money. I had two lovely young children. I had no way to pay myself, but somehow I wanted to be that first kind of senior executive behind the co-founders. And I was raising the money and ultimately a great group called Excel Partners became our lead investor. So I kind of learned the venture business by being on the inside of a young company. And I kind of saw it from the ground up. So I was on the other side. And I often think that the best way to be in a lot of businesses is to see it from different perspectives. So the fact that I'd been a young company person, but maybe trained in big, important companies too, before I knew it, I felt like I knew the VC business pretty well. So all of a sudden now I'm the one when I joined Wakefield Group to try to assess it from the other side and try to help and add value to the companies we decided to go pick to invest in. Boy, that's so true. And, you know, some of the extremely successful business people I've interviewed on podcasts, I've seen this as a pattern. You know, some people want to stay in the same line or of business or in the same vertical or same function within a company. But sometimes, you know, whether you're in a company getting different functional experience or uh, going to other companies and seeing things from different perspectives, it really gives you an advantage in future years. I completely agree. I mean, I jokingly think of it as kind of forks in the road that you look at every two to three years to assess whether you're learning, growing, developing, and still getting excited every day. And I started thinking if it wasn't for the first path, I was at IBM, as you said, for almost 15 years. The fact that I was willing to join a Silicon Valley-based software company, I, I didn't have to do that either. And I didn't have to take other functions at IBM or other moves at IBM. And you think of your patchwork body of work is all based on kind of those choices. In many ways, I think there's the choices we make that are the most important thing. And for me, it's all about vitality, learning, growing, getting energized. And I always do that when I'm growing and developing with amazing new people where I think I can learn and contribute in some way. I'd like to uh, skip up to Carbon. It's a fun one. You co-founded that in 2013. So you've been engaged there for eight years. But would you tell us a little bit about that story? Yeah, it's a, a joy that's still being told. And it's an amazing book instead of chapters where the next chapters are still to be told as well. But I then ran this Wakefield Group venture firm. So I felt like I had been in the company creation business, trying to back people that wanted to change the world. And I thought in many ways it was like America's great business craft that I had that involved investment judgment and company building skills. But I noticed, Matt, what I loved the most about being an investor was helping the companies because I felt like I go back to my IBM or Informix or Quokka Sports days. I got a real joy out of being on the inside. So I was invited in by people that I knew, the people that I invested in, people that we had actually had an investment in called Liquidia Technologies, taking a company public. In fact, I was on the board. I was the lead investor. I got drafted from and by the board to actually be the CEO for 18 months when we were making a leadership transition at the time at the company. And one of my friends that I knew well from Liquidia said, hey, we got this really cool 3D printing company idea. Love to run it by you. Love to get your thoughts. Maybe you want to be an investor, an advisor, launch president, somehow get involved. And I'm like, well, this is like really interesting. Tell me more. At the same time, I also had plenty on, so I wasn't really looking to do new things. And I guess back to my forks in a road, Matt, this might have been fork 13 or something like that. They kind of say overnight on a text exchange, what do you think about coming to join us as one of the four co-founders, two professors, a theoretical physicist from Moscow State and me? You know, I didn't want to have any sense of imperialism. I was going to be the CEO, but I called myself in my own mind, chief business guy, because these were extraordinary people that I knew really well. So I knew I was, who I was getting into business with. But I also joined the company at the time. We had $9,200 in the bank. We owed lawyers $72,000. We had a printer made out of wood and we were gonna try to change manufacturing worldwide. We wanted to change the way things were made. And I knew how extraordinary my partners were. In many ways, I felt honored to be their partners. So 
They built this first 3D printer for 200 bucks, literally in Dr. Alexander Ermushkin's home. He's one of my co-founder partners. He and his son built it. They're amazing folks. And if you think of building a 3D printer made out of wood, a broken projector off of eBay, a stepper motor from Radio Shack and some materials, I think, from Lowe's and maybe Ace Hardware, both plywood and resins or chemical materials. And it ended up also, they came up with really what they called a window or a way of actually producing the 3D printed parts. I call it a magic window. They dreamed up and I had some now, probably the best polymer chemist in the world and one of the best entrepreneurs in the world now, Dr. Joe Simone is one of my partners. They came up with, I was just the lucky beneficiary of a contact lens type of material that was transparent to light, permeable to oxygen. And you can 3D print in a photochemical way, not in the electromechanical way of the previous 25 years. All of a sudden we had a 3D printer and I remember the first drawing was of an ice cube, but you could 3D print 25 times, maybe even a hundred times faster. So it was kind of a breakthrough. We put all of our research and studies into a research report, into a paper. We debuted on the cover of Science Magazine on the floor of a TED Talk in Vancouver. And I was the one as my chief business guy since I knew the VC world so well. I went to Sequoia Capital, who are for sure the best venture capital firm in the world and for sure the best in history. And one of my great friends was at the time still a young and beginning proven person named Jim Getz, who's now gone on to become five years in a row the number one tech investor in the world, Midas List number one. And we tried to raise one to two million from Jim and we ended up getting a commitment basically for them to lead a round of 11 million the same afternoon we started. And it's kind of gone crazy good. Four of us started with negative 63,000 bucks in the bank. And now we got 500 employees, Silicon Valley based, bluest of the blue chip and enterprise customers. You name a prestigious enterprise customer, we kind of have them. So I call it a tiger by the tail for sure. And I went from CEO to becoming chairman. We then recruited Alan Mulally, who iconically ran Ford and was the president CEO of Boeing Commercial to join our board. And he's been amazing. And then even Ellen Coleman, who I think Alan helped recruit to the board with Jody Simone's help, is now our CEO. And she's the first woman in 212 years to run DuPont. It's one of our big chemical suppliers. So it's been this handoff of amazing talent to amazing talent. And now I just feel like the lucky guy, just an active co-founder, but we've had a crazy fun run. And I think the next chapters are still to be told. Well, your investor group is really impressive. Sequoia Capital, Silver Lake, Google Ventures, Piedmont Capital, Wakefield Group, GE Ventures, Fidelity, Johnson Johnson, BMW, Adidas, and more. Yeah, we raised $680 million, uh, and, and it, the money's been coming at us. We haven't even really tried to raise it. It's been phenomenal, so we're super well-capitalized, got hundreds of millions of dollars in the bank. And I guess one of the big recruits that we have when I think about it was I met, again, through Jim Getz. This is a bit like going to, to me, Steven Spielberg, that knows who you want in your movie if you want to have a blockbuster. Sequoia introduced me to Craig Carlson. At the time, he was immediately former original VP of engineering at Tesla for Elon Musk for the first eight years, pre-revenue. And I got to meet Craig on bench in his hometown. Fast forward a couple of months and Craig Carlson is our chief technology officer. And we probably have 35 or 40 Tesla people there. And we've got the founding engineering head of Tesla as our head of engineering. Craig has been phenomenal. Joe's son, Phil DeSimone, has been phenomenal from the beginning. Is really the chief business development product person. He closes all the big deals. We've got this amazing team, but it's a bit, again, back to my analogy of a Spielberg movie. Everybody wants in the movie. Everybody wants to invest. Everybody wants to join. Taking something that, in my mind, still is very new and cutting edge, like 3D printing and reinventing it, that's uh, quite remarkable. 
You had described to me before when we met how this works. It does seem a little bit like magic. Yeah, let me maybe describe it a little bit. If you imagine Terminator 2, Liquid Metal Man, growing up out of the broth, out of a puddle, we literally do a CAD drawing of anything. Think of that you know, magic window that's made out of that contact lens kind of material. And we now have probably not current, but 40 plus patents, maybe a couple hundred pending. So it's truly new to the world. You literally do all but play a movie of the part you want to produce. And it stays liquid at the puddle on the magic window. And you have a UV curable light. I think it's a wavelength of 365. The same kind of DLP chip you'd have in a movie theater. And you literally can pull the product out of the broth or out of the lake. And if you've seen, again, Liquid Metal Man, where they just grow up out of a puddle, it's very similar. So as a result, it's a breakthrough. 25 to 100 times faster, much less expensive, higher quality parts. You can do end-use parts instead of it being the parts that you would use only for prototyping. It really changes supply chain, logistics. Why would you make hundreds in advance if you don't need them? Why don't you do it just in time? Why wouldn't you bring some of those jobs or that capability back to the U.S.? And why wouldn't everything be made for you? Why wouldn't there be a size mat for pretty much everything? Things on your feet, maybe things in your ears, maybe medical devices. I mean, kind of watch this space because you can actually make everything different. So it's bespoke and of one because of its speed, because it's really focused on end-use manufacturing. So it's it's been a breakthrough and kind of the joy of a, a lifetime. And I'm thinking, now, how in the world did I get involved in that? I guess the commonalities are amazing people that you hustle and try to work hard for that invite you in to be a co-founder. Also, when I think back on it, I had to leave my 15-year venture capital job to join a company that had no money and a printer made out of wood. But I never thought of it that way, man. I just thought of it as the opportunity. And then the whole idea of getting back inside a company just felt like a joy. And I had enough pattern recognition to know, wow, this is really different. Almost like we had an amazing screenplay. So I sole sourced it to Steven Spielberg, in this case, Jim Getz, who again, knew how good Jim was. And he said yes in one afternoon to offer us five times more money than we were seeking. We're done. And we went stealth for 18 months. And Jim's now the lead investor, quarterback and calling all the shots. I'm just a cheerleader, helper, active, you know, with some free time to do a few other things. What an amazing story. Congratulations. That's a tremendous. Yeah, and I said, watch this space. Company's going really good. I think the zero to one part was the invention that Alexander Ermoshkin and his son came up with, with Joe D. Simone's help. But at some point, scaling these companies is both fun and the next opportunity. And we've been scaling it beautifully. And this is a company that's definitely built to last. You are also co-founder of Re-Inc., yeah, there's a fun story there, too. I guess when I think back on themes again, I'm a less young guy, much less young guy than you. So I've kind of seen the movie before. And what I end up gravitating towards is big themes. So the whole idea of transforming manufacturing, that's exciting. I'm also a proud dad, two amazing daughters, wonderful wife of 30 plus years. And this whole idea of equity, equality, fairness, even diversity, inclusion for women just resonated with me. And it turns out having lived in Chapel Hill, where you would see Chapel Hill is they have this iconic women's football team, meaning soccer team. And I knew them. I was Mr. Nelson to a bunch of them because I, I kind of, I guess, drawn to greatness. And that program's iconic in terms of how good it is going back to the Mia Hamm days. And they're the ones that uh, won the Women's World Cup back in 2015. And at the same time, are going to sue their boss over being treated fairly. You don't often aren't often best in the world at what you do. So I was advisor number one to the U.S. Women's National Team Players Association. We brought in McKinsey to do a study about getting them paid fairly, et cetera. I came down to a friendly match in Brazil. This, we were joking about it. I just came from New York with my re-friends, my soccer friends, and now iconic people. They weren't at the time. We said, you know, yes, you ought to fight for equal pay. You ought to fight for being fair pay. I think fair is a better word. Maybe you ought to get paid more. 
You ought to be treated equally and paid fairly. But have you thought about starting a new company? We call it NUCO, N-E-W-C-O, where there isn't a bunch of, in fairness, older white men that decide how much you're worth. Let the world decide. So we kind of built this thing, launched it in 2019 at the Women's World Cup. The fundraising there has been crazy as well. Literally raised money, I think. Well, the, the first money was from Kleiner Perkins, which would be a top two firm in history. Uh, we raised that literally in a Zoom call, and the money was in the bank in two days before the women played their first match. And it started out in streetwear and has really now morphed in this vertical social network for changemakers. Some biking enthusiasts would know the app Strava that kind of tracks everything for the biking enthusiasts. This is more for the people that want to change the world and be changemakers. And it turns out my partners, Megan Rapino, Kristen Press, Tobin Heath, Megan Klingenberg, became synonymous with the cultural movement of fairness, equity, equality, fairness in changing the world in a good way and even the fight for fair pay. It's been another tiger by the tail. They invited me in because they knew me as Mr. Nelson. They now call me Steve as a co-founder and it's 85% women owned, all but probably 90% women run and me. They call me OG. I thought that meant old guy, which is true. And I said, no, it's actually original gangster. And I said, okay, what does that mean? They said, no, it's actually good. You've been here from the beginning. So I'm OG to my young <laughs> friends. I'm twice as old and we've had a ball and we've added now to Connor Perkins. We raised money from New Enterprise Associates, NEA, who's a fantastic firm from CAA, that probably the most important talent agency in history out of LA. There's a university called Stanford that you probably heard of, and it's kind of gone really good. And for me, it's a joy. I would do anything with these folks. I would do a not-for-profit, build a house, anything. By the way, Megan Rapinoe is now like one of those iconic people on the planet, and she's my friend from four years ago, almost five years ago. So it's been a bit of a wild ride, and for me, a joy, in the fact that we actually have a company. And by the way, back to the whole notion of, yeah, fight to get paid fairly. But if you own something, there's this thing called ownership that nobody decides within the world and how good you're going to be. And we're off to a really good start. And let's just say their time and effort has been really well spent with a lot of upside to re. So it's been a joy, absolutely a joy. Well, that's awesome. You have a lot going on. You're on many boards. We haven't gone through that, but there's one board that I would like to talk a little bit about. You are one of the founding board members of the Whole Health Institute. Yeah, in this case, it's going to be the Whole Health School of Medicine and Health Sciences, kind of the new med school. But also, I was kind of a founding advisor before the Whole Health Institute even started. I had the great joy of meeting Alice, Alice Walton, that is, who to me is like an entrepreneur. She's an innovator. She's an out-of-the-box thinker. A lot of people would say she's the most like her dad. Pretty iconic guy that started this Fortune One company there in town. Alice has become an amazing person in my life, amazing friend, and invited me. Not only was I there from the beginning on the Whole Health Institute, a bit of a founding advisor, even into leading the search for Tracy Godet, who's done a fantastic job, and the team behind all of that, but now this new med school and I guess her first or tied for first new board member of the Whole Health School of Medicine and Health Sciences. But love Alice and what she wants to do to transform healthcare in America. Clearly, You've been involved in some very transformational businesses. This seems to be remarkably transformational because it could transform healthcare business in the United States. Yeah, it's uh, it's got big dreams. I just love people that are big dreamers. I kind of say it all begins with a dream. And Alice Walton and her whole initiative at Whole Health wants to transform healthcare in America. Think of it as also East meets West. So it's not all about fee-for-service, it's about keeping people healthy, it's about the move to value-based care, new payment models, new approaches, new partnerships. You may have seen a big launch of a conversation and for specialties with the Cleveland Clinic, 
pretty much everybody on the planet that's anybody or even best of the world at what you do wants to partner. So it's been, again, a joy that you put some amazing people in the same room. And the beautiful thing is it's starting in Northwest Arkansas in the hometown of where this amazing family and, you know, my, my friend Alice grew up. So it's a joy for me to try to help any way I can. In that case, it's completely not for profit. I don't need or want anything out of it. I just get energy and vitality out of hanging around people like Alice and the whole health crowd. They've been amazing. It is. It's tremendous. What made you decide to move to Northwest Arkansas? Was it that? Yeah, I guess COVID has a way of doing things for everybody in the world, right? I mean, we always joke about that. My, We were 20-year people in North Carolina. Our daughters have, you know, 20-somethings that live in L.A., you know, Santa Monica, Brentwood kind of area. And they couldn't really come back and see us, and we couldn't really go see them in that window of time. And my wife beautifully, proudly pronounces, hey, I want to buy a Sprinter van. <laughs> Why don't we get a Sprinter van and just kind of do our life from the road a little bit, So, which is what we did. And we were out visiting them. And again, at this point, I'm hundreds of conversations into life with Alice and the whole health crowd. And she has us stop through town on our trip, literally from L.A. back to North Carolina, because we were still at the time owning a home and property in North Carolina after 20 years of living there. Big empty nester house that wasn't really required. We stopped, stayed at the 21C, spent a lot of time with Alice and some of her family members, toured the place. Before you know it, somebody called and said, hey, there might be a unit available. And we took a look at it on like 10 minutes notice. And at the seven minute mark of being toured around it, my wife says, we'll take it. <laughs> so that's back to the, was that planned? Was that in a spreadsheet? No, I guess that's a blink moment of just forks and roads and amazing people. And I really, I'll, I'll add to it. So Alice and the whole Health Institute for both my wife and I, my dear wife, Susan, and I, is a huge draw for us because we just feel like we could have been involved from the ground up of something great. That's really important. Again, if you think of themes, health and wellness and healing is really important theme. So is changing manufacturing. So is equity, equality, fairness for women. But I also think Bentonville in Northwest Arkansas could be this next great place to start and grow a business. There's no way, and the reason, any reasons, it can't be that next great place. It's very much the way I felt about North Carolina in late 1999 when we moved there, when we just picked up and moved. So it's very similar to pick up and move. And it's been amazing, folks. And I feel like there's no reason. And by the way, I've told you, Matt, you're um, fantastic at what you do. We would have to invent somebody as good as you that wanted to actually be transformative on a local level in so many professional ways and just had joyous times with you already. So the whole idea of being around people where you wake up every day excited about who's there, it's just something I get excited about. And I love it as a base for next chapters. So that's the way I guess it came to be. And here we are. And it's been fantastic. What you say is so true. What makes life joyful is the people you're around. I so much uh, agree with that. And uh, there are so many wonderful people to be around. So we are fortunate. You have been an extremely successful business leader in many, many different dimensions. Really a paragon, I think, for young people who want to go into business. What, what would you recommend to our students, whether they be undergraduates or graduate students? I really appreciate the question. And of all the things we've talked about, this is probably my favorite. I get so much energy out of young, talented people. At some point, I'm the less young guy no matter what. So the whole idea of trying to help. And we come across, Matt, you and I as wise, but we've just have seen the movie before and lived longer and have some life learnings to share. There's a few, if you don't mind me mentioning them, would be. Please, that'd be I'm, I'm really big on exploring your interests to find your passions. You know, open the aperture wide to find out what you love. 
And if you could find the people, places, things that, or even who inspire you, give you energy, give you vitality, I think that brings inspiration into your life and it helps you, you know, or even create your life calling. And I'm really big on what's your life calling, what's your reason for being. And for me, it's those things that give you the most energy, the most vitality is usually your passions over time. And you can over time find a way to work in those fields and then find the people around that that are kind of best at what they do and prioritize those folks. You know, first and foremost, I love to go to work on them, with them, for them. I don't need any gain out of it. My gain is the energy and vitality I get out of it and the learnings I get out of it. And, and as we talked about, the joy. Uh, and sometimes I feel like I've, I'm honored, privileged, lucky to even be alongside them. Like, who am I? I'm just this guy that's had these forks in the road that, you know, some of them are worked out pretty well. So this whole idea of combining what you love to do what you, with what you do for a living I think it's fantastic as well. I guess if I was thinking of skills to grow, you know, I think systems thinking is good. That's where innovation and opportunity think of it as those T skills, you know, wide and deep, be an expert at something, but be broad enough, liberal arts with the sciences. I think being technology aware or, and or savvy, I think being able to use these tools is really important. I think being competitive and actually wanting to do well, I don't mean competing against other people, but wanting to do well, Maybe that's better said as conscientiousness or grit. And then there's nothing better than being a great communicator, I think, both verbal and written. And I love the idea of being of service to others. And so the longer you live, the more, and I'm sure you realize that, maybe you've realized it your whole life. I've really got it in the last decade or so. This whole idea of being of service to others is where I get my joy. It's not by doing my thing, it's just by helping others. So I guess those are the big things that I would say, but I'd actually add to it you know, be a dreamer. You know, I now hang around because of Sequoia and Alice Walton and my friends at Kleiner Perkins, John Doerr. These are dreamers that think anything is possible. And I guess I've always been the person personally, no matter what, I'm going to give everything my absolute best effort. They're going to get my best me. If we can control having a positive attitude and being upbeat about things. I don't know many pessimistic, successful folks. Or I don't hang around with them anyway. And then being a great team player. And then it doesn't feel like work if you're working alongside uh, amazing people. Those are some of the things that I really have enjoyed, I guess, over the last many years is picking projects that I'm passionate about, finding the absolute best people associated with it. And you, there's, you know, there's been talk on the engineering side of things of 10x engineers, like some engineers are 10 times better. It doesn't mean they're better people. And it doesn't mean it's just engineers. I just think some people are just extraordinary at what they do. And if you could find a way to be a talent scout and get your way to those extraordinary people, that's where the magic really happens is, you know, big dreams, big needs, extraordinary people. And it doesn't then feel like work at all. It feels like a joy. And we've used that word. I think, you know, happiness is fleeting. <laughs> joy is not. I think you get joy from serving and helping others. And for me, it never fades to try to be of service and helping other folks and it never fades to want to be around incredible people so i guess those would be some of the life lessons you can't always do that job one i'm thinking when i was a young ibm guy that i know this no way but this is like if i was to get beamed up to another planet and had to offer these words based on now many decades of being around extraordinary people and some fun projects i'd want to share those words 
based on my observation of you, you really live this service to others. I know you're doing it in many ways with the whole Health Institute and all, but you, you're doing it with the university too, helping us with the entrepreneurship efforts. And I really appreciate that. We're we're lucky you uh, decided to move here and, and get engaged. So. Well, I'm the lucky one. And again, lucky to have met you, Matt. I've so enjoyed our conversations and I hope there's many, many more and opportunity to work side by side. I'm really proud of what you're doing and your team is doing. And there's a big opportunity for somebody to do something really special somewhere in the nation. And I don't know why Northwest Arkansas and things emanating from your leadership and kind of locking arms with some other incredible people. And I'm I'm bringing my friends through town. So my, you know, dear friend, John Dorf, Hunter Perkins is coming to town for the second time. Jim Getz is coming to town, as you well know, from Sequoia. And I don't think he's spoken publicly in six years. He's coming in April. So we're getting the best in the world kind of folks that want to come to town to tell their story, to listen, learn, and offer thoughts. And these are folks that in theory have already wanted life, um, but they want to offer gifts to others. And they're picking our town in Northwest Arkansas to have those conversations. Steve, thank you so much for taking time today to visit with us. And I, it's been a really interesting conversation and uh, really appreciate you. Have a, have a wonderful holiday. I appreciate that, Matt. On behalf of the Sam M. Walton College of Business, I want to thank everyone for spending time with us for another engaging conversation. You can subscribe by going to your favorite podcast service and searching Be Epic, B-E-E-P-I-C.